Welcome to Foreman and Wolf on Food and Wine. I'm Tony Foreman. And Chef Cindy Wolf. And Cindy Lou, it's Mother's Day coming up. It is. It's a great holiday. It's Mother's Day today. It is. It's Sunday. And uh, it's a great day to honor mothers who do so much for all of us. And that is really the idea. You know, you, it, the holiday sort of started with the idea of writing a letter to your mother and thanking her for all the love and special things she's done for you. I think that's a great way to actually celebrate the holiday. Is that real? That it is real. It started with writing um, a letter to your mother? It did. It, it was started by Anna Jarvis, and uh, she, her mother had done a lot of things for soldiers in the Civil War and was a nurse. And, and uh, by the early 1900s, uh, her daughter had thought that, that mothers should be honored. And um, eventually the president uh, made it an official holiday in the early 1900s. So was Anna Jarvis a good cook? I don't know. I didn't read anything about how good of a cook she was. Did they ta- I think did, she was a pr- pretty good daughter, though. Did they, did she take her mom out to lunch? No. <laughs> I don't know. Because it's it, the crazy thing. I mean, Mother's Day for us, immediately, we're in the restaurant business. Immediately, we think of Mother's Day as one of the two or three busiest days of the year. Absolutely. Absolutely, it and, is. And it's one of those things that it's hard to think about it from not a business perspective, but for and Most of the world. And that's why I said what I just said, because yeah. we are so used to, you know, our, our lives revolve around holidays and, and that these are the largest days in the business. And, and we uh, tend to probably lose a little bit of focus on the point of some of these holidays because we don't really celebrate them. Yeah, well, I mean, I always try to spend time reminding people what we do, you know, reminding reminding staff that are going to be taking care of so many families and, and moms mm-hmm. that – that that it's such a big deal that right. it is a <clears throat> they know it's a it special is a special day. treat and, yeah and more it's about the people in the seats not about the people that you're missing seeing that day when you're working on that busy day so, so we think a lot about food on Mother's Day and I think a lot of fathers are doing a lot of cooking and I know back when I was a child when we were children probably fathers weren't the best of cooks maybe uh, because women were still pretty well in, in want, the home when we were kids. Anyway. I wonder how many moms got steaks for Mother's Day lunch or... Uh, <laughs> or hamburgers or <laughs> something grilled. Yeah. You know, you know, it was if it was a nice day, it was probably something grilled or something pretty simple or maybe something breakfast-oriented. My dad, if he, was making, if he was making a meal, the stuff he was best at when I was a kid were fried peanut butter and cheese and banana sandwiches, almost Elvis-style. Hmm. And I really can't imagine anyone's mother actually wanting that. I, I don't. I don't see any moms wanting that. No. Did, hmm. did, did your dad make uh, <laughs> Mother's Day meals for you? Well, you know, mom? my my dad was in the beef business, so he was he was a big beef guy, and we would always have a steak, as you said, or he would yeah. cook a prime rib um, in the oven, or he would, and he would always make baked potatoes. I remember that. Uh, so things that you know were pretty simple, but shoot, it was always really good. He might cook some broccoli or something. You know, and I think also uh, with Mother's Day being at the start of spring, so it's supposed to be the second Sunday in May, uh, you know, in some regions, particularly in the south, you would have had strawberries possibly already uh, or, you know, local asparagus as we have here now. So, you know, it's certainly an opportunity and it used to always be a time uh, to serve things that were local and good. So when you write a well, it is it is the the cool thing is it comes right when the very first products come to market. Mm-hmm, exactly. This year with a ter- with a terrible winter. Yeah. Well, I mean, we barely got asparagus in time, and we're barely getting strawberries. Right, and we're not ha- we're not having much heat. I mean, we the sure strawberries the strawberries of- we're getting are from Southern Virginia. It's, I mean, and right. they come on Sunday, so it's mm-hmm. it's it's impossible to really get them on the menus. But uh, so, what when you were thinking about Mother's Day this year? I think about now versus you know twenty years ago, writing a Mother's Day menu. Do you think about it differently at all? Are you thinking about what 
what what families want, what moms want. What's what is the what is your thought process? I think you know everything is is a little bit more healthy perhaps than it was twenty or thirty years ago. Um, you know because we do have so many things uh, that we can get now versus cooking even even thirty years ago when you could hardly find shallots, if you can imagine that. So you know. You know, I think we're thinking healthy. I also start to think about people get very excited about crab meat this time of the year. So, you oh, know, you get I, your first soft crab. You That's do. Definitely. So we, we've been serving soft shells for several weeks. And uh, if it falls at the right time, it certainly would be nice to be able to serve soft shells for Mother's Day. Um, and you could, you know, pan fry those and not have it be a big uh, problem unless you have a really big family. It, it would probably gather <laughs> gather up a lot yeah. of space on your stove if you ba- had 20 Baltimore, people. Baltimore, traditionally, big Catholic family. you got 25 people at the table. Yeah. If you're frying one soft crab at a time, you can be that a long time at lunch. Yeah. No, that would be a, a <laughs> mess. But if you did have a small family, or you can just, you know, if you can find crab meat, and, and I'm not sure that we're going to, you know, I think we're going to have crab meat for this weekend, but it's going to be sparse, and it's probably going to be from the south, and, you know, it should be good. It should be excellent. I mean, yeah, I'm usually serving crab you Memorial Day, if you, right? And yeah. and that's it. You know, we we start to see crawfish in in uh, April uh, from the south, and we do start to see crab meat uh, from the south in April. So, uh, you know, with with my menu at, at Charleston this year, we're kind of doing an unusual thing where we're open in the daytime and then we're also open in the evening with a break in the middle. So that daytime service, I put salmon with hollandaise on, and and we did put crab cakes on, and um, I I just recently took shrimp and grits off the menu, which have been on the menu uh, since we opened. Uh, Savannah. So that would be almost 19 years ago now. And um, I just took them off. So I put them back on for Mother's Day because that's a great daytime dish. It's a great anytime dish, but certainly shrimp and grits was traditionally a breakfast dish. So those things that are on the menu are really geared towards that daytime and, um, you know, just things that we all think of. Sort of lavish, slow southern lunch. Exactly. Exactly. And then, you know, the, the, the full menu is on. So you have many, many things to choose from. But, you know, one of the things I would have liked to have put on, which doesn't necessarily work at Charleston, but certainly does at some of our other restaurants, is, you know, great waffles. Um, I used to make at Savannah, I used to make two uh, two breakfast items that were very, very popular. One was a whole wheat uh, waffle, which I, I have uh, with a pecan syrup that I made myself. And those were really, really good. They had a little bit of buttermilk in the uh, whole wheat waffle mixture. And then we made uh, peach pancakes, and I would say that we used to make them a little bit out of season, but I don't think anybody really minded. <laughs> no, people <laughs> and, uh, freaked out they when were they were very popular. Yeah, 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 and we used to make a brown sugar butter for those uh, peach pancakes. So, you know, we can't get peaches Just so that now, you go into, like, hypoglycemic shock after <laughs> after having that. It, it was just a little <laughs> bit of brown sugar in the yeah. butter that you put on top of your pancake, and we used to pipe that into a little rosette so you could, you know, have a pretty little kind of melting on garnish on your yeah, pancake, yeah. And, and those pancakes were made with uh, buttermilk as well, so, um, you know, those are things that are nice to think about, particularly if you if you do want to, to take a, you know, maybe breakfast in bed to the kids to get involved, and, and that's so special for a mother to have that's what that I'm sort wondering of attention. how many people this morning made breakfast in bed for uh, for for moms. I think and, that's a and, nice, and, nice and thing to do. And what they made. And, yeah, and how fun know. that the kids get involved and maybe have really small children. That would be very special for them to get involved and maybe having some of their first cooking experiences and, and to, to learn, uh, you know, what it's like to, to, to bring joy to somebody through food because that's what you're doing and, well, and showing a, them how much you love them. That's what we all do when we cook. We're showing people love through food. I, I, I really believe that. And, um, you know, the love for the food and the love for the person. Well, that's all the best. I mean, all the best times mm-hmm. in life are shared times at the table where you're Absolutely. eating and drinking together. Mm-hmm. And 
Now, the, the, the two big questions that I have about that tray going up to mom is one, did you remember to cut a flower and put it on, you know, yes, put it in a vase nice. on that tray? Mm-hmm. That's that's important. And two, are you getting her a glass of champagne right away <laughs> with a breakfast? Seems like a good way to start the day. Well, get, get the, yeah, get, or get the mimosa. Going on. You know, you could buy a less expensive champagne. What, what would you suggest for a mimosa? Mimosa is one of those things I have. You have I, a problem with? Well, no, you know me. Mm. I'm, I'm a weird cocktail person. Mm-hmm. It, when uh, when bartender the bartender that knows me knows if I want a whiskey sour, it means you take a, a nice orange peel and you run it around the rim of the glass and you throw it away and you put whiskey in the glass, and that's not whiskey sour. Okay. The uh, which is maybe not really a cocktail. <laughs> it's a lot more like whiskey in a glass that <laughs> smells like, like oranges. <laughs> um, but for m- mimosas, I, I wouldn't necessarily put great champagne in in that. But that being said, I mean very good quality cava prosecco. Uh, Kava, honestly, I think yeah, you probably want like the you probably want the power of it, mm-hmm. and, and and it has good acidity. You don't need the extra sugar that the prosecco carries to okay. uh, so to, to make that. Honestly, the the, the great Piemonte sparkling wine Moscato d'Asti is almost. I mean, that's lower alcohol. That's five six percent alcohol. It is almost sort of like fantastic, you know, like white peach soda. Mm, that sounds good. And uh, and that that might be the nicest thing if you're making those peach pancakes. That might be the fun little thing to put that on would the be tray. Fun. And and also, obviously, you want to squeeze your own orange juice. That's that's the biggest thing. You know, you have this beautiful, fresh, bright, healthy flavor, and uh, so just. I think people take think that that's impossible to do, to do that. somehow. It's, to squeeze your own orange yeah. juice, it's so easy. Just buy a. Well, they're called Reamers, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> you can either buy one or you can. Uh, at Williams Sonoma, they have. I love these things, and I keep I, I keep buying them every time I see them. They have a, a squeezer for orange, lemon, and lime now. Uh, but I have my uh, great grandmother's old juicer, which is just a you know glass. It still that you, works, yeah. Yep. Which and then you can pour it out of it. That's funny. I have my great grandmother's also. Uh huh. So you know. <laughs> you have to strain out the seeds, though, Dad. Yeah, exactly. No seeds. So fresh orange juice. So, I, and also the other thing I wonder about that tray going upstairs, who who is being the most adventurous person putting things on there? Like, what is the what what is what is the wacky recipe that's making its way upstairs? What's going to be the thing that fails and that means they all of a sudden have to find a last minute brunch reservation? <laughs> Because you get those calls in the restaurants. You get that call at 10.30 or something. And the you know everything, everything went south. Mm-hmm. You know, someone made pancakes or someone made waffles or someone burned something or someone <laughs> halfway burned down the kitchen. Right. I think the burning is probably the most common thing yeah. that, you know, people that aren't experienced cooks are trying to do something very nice for someone and then maybe aren't quite as successful as they could have been. And, and you know, that happens. So cooking is I, str- I strongly suggest well it's le- too late to say it today but I strongly suggest practicing ahead of time <laughs> we had a we had a 10 year old show up um, years and years ago in, in a restaurant in D.C. for brunch on Mother's Day with no eyebrows oh my gosh <laughs> because he had burned them off <laughs> no that's awful and his, his, his dad had called like an hour ahead completely panicked like my son half burned our kitchen down this is why I'm thinking about this wow. the, what disasters my son had burned a kitchen. It was a George Browns. My, oh my son gosh. had burned a kitchen down. Uh, I really need to do something to take care of my wife. She's completely freaked out. I'm like, one, get her a cocktail. Two, bring everybody. I'll find a table for you. Sure. Oh, wow. wow. <laughs> and here comes this kid. He's got no eyebrows. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's terrible. And the front part of his hair had like an artificially melted uh, or Maybe they should put their bike helmets on before they start cooking. I don't know. Hmm. Maybe a, a, a welder's mask or something <laughs> like that. Just stay away from the flames. So if you're... If if someone's bringing you a tray, what's the most important thing to you? 
to me. Yeah, it was Mother's Day. Someone's bringing you a tray. Someone's treating you breakfast in bed. What, what, what is the most important thing? Is it the flour? Is it the glass of champagne? Is it they cooked for you? I think it's just that they cooked for me. That would be the the greatest gift is that they, they, you know, someone's thinking about you and doing something special for you. That's the gift. So don't worry too much about the end result. I'm sure no mother is terribly concerned about it in the end. Now, when we come back, we'll have lots and lots of listener questions. Uh, we had lots of interested emails about producer segments from the last, tic- uh, last Sunday's program and the last several <coughs> Sunday's programs. Uh, all of that and more about moms on Mother's Day on Formula Wolf on Food and Wine. Welcome back to Foreman Wolf on Food and Wine. I'm Tony Foreman. And Chef Cindy Wolf. So, Cindy, did, did you learn to cook from your mom? No, I didn't. But I certainly learned a lot about how the kitchen works and, you know, certainly about eating food seasonally and eating good food. But uh, my mother was at home and did all the cooking. And, uh, you know, my sister and I were responsible for setting the table and doing the dishes afterwards. But uh, she did not look for too much assistance. Um, so I really learned how to cook when I started working in, in restaurants professionally. Well, I guess what, in a greedy way, I just want to know, are the recipes of your mom's that you liked or certain ones that Absolutely. you learned or maybe after the fact when you were not under her feet driving her crazy as, <laughs> uh, as a child, you know, things that, that you picked up or that you, that you love to make that your mom taught you? I, th- I think there's some of those traditional times of the year that my mother was so good at making Thanksgiving dinner or Christmas dinner, um, Easter dinner. All those things were so special uh, in our home, just like most people's. And um, she she was brilliant at that. And potato mashed potatoes were always one of those things that we just couldn't wait for her to make. You know, it was usually on a special occasion. Mashed potatoes are a good bit of work. And, um, and, and stuffing. When she would stuff a chicken... Uh, we would just all jump up and down for joy because we're we're of German descent and absolutely love kind of all this traditional Pennsylvania Dutch cooking that my 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 mother was you know learned from her mother who learned from her mother. Does that mean your mother put sausages in the stuffing or sauerkraut in the stuffing or? No, no, it was very simple. Her stuffing actually was onion and celery sautéed in butter with salt and pepper, and then she would uh, make her own uh, croutons from fresh bread, let it dry out, and mix the two together and put that in the chicken. So that was always something. And then potato pure, mashed potatoes were, you know, potatoes boiled in a pot with water and salt and drained. And she would put them in a mixer and uh, add hot milk and butter and salt and pepper. And I make them very differently as a chef, but those were very satisfying. And then one of the other things she would do was the next day she would make potato cakes from the cold mashed potatoes. And I think that was really something that my grandmother did, my great-grandmother did. So, so you know some, was, something like that kind of potato cake with oh, a fried egg on it the next so morning good. that's mm. so so good and you know those were those were things that were passed from generation to generation um stuffing a hog maw which is the lining of the pig's stomach using it basically as a casing and sounds so appetizing it well it is uh i mean and, it does to me but, but i'm guessing it, a lot of listeners are not going to be excited about the lining sure what, of the pig's stomach well you know what do you think a casing is it's it's basically uh the intestines, intestines yeah. so um <clears throat> any sausage is, is packed into it and an, so, 
so into hog, a casing. hog maw is a kind of sausage. It's just kind of a gigantic sausage because it, it actually is, is about casing. the size of a football yeah. or bigger than that. Right. That's the, that's the ideal sausage. It it's is. It's football sized. It <laughs> Maybe that should yes. be that we, we have to do a tailgating show and you have to do a hog maw recipe. Oof. Is the so ultimate football shaped sausage. Okay. Right. Okay, yeah. we got to we okay. do this for the autumn. Okay, we'll do it. We'll do okay. it. But, you know, I think other things that I learned from my mother was, you know, she utilized everything um, and, and, you know, always cleaned out all of her. If she was making something with batter, she cleaned every bit of it out of the bowl. And that was one of the first things I was told when I worked in a restaurant kitchen. We don't waste anything, you know, as long as it's healthy and good. You don't waste it. So you're always taught to scrape everything out and and use all the product available. So, um, you know, just learning good habits. My mother was extremely organized and, and having that built into you as a child, you know, whether it was keeping your room clean, uh, you know, all the things that we were responsible for, we were taught how to clean the house. We were expected to help clean the house. All these things are great ways. To be, I was taught how to iron. I mean, all those things are great ways to prepare yourself for the rest of your life. And I'm thankful that my mother taught me what she did. It's funny thing about the home economics, right? Economics is part of that, and, and mm-hmm. a lot of those things are, are good for your pocket if you're good at them. Absolutely. For sure. Indeed. Indeed. And make you efficient in, in all ways. I know my great-grandmother was one of those people that it didn't it, – it, it never – the trash can did not win. Mm-hmm. And whatever it was that she bought, she was going to figure out how to use and use Absolutely. it well. Sure. A lot of times those are the best things that she ever made. And so, what, what were some of the things that you learned from your grandmother or great-grandmother? Well, my – my my grandmother, my great grandmother was, was a gifted cook and a, and a a southern cook and a lot of traditional things, whether they were pickled or fried or preserved. You know, those are her strengths. Were either 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 stews, frogmore stew, or not made with squirrels, but <laughs> usually with pork shoulder. You know, but uh, or veal if she could get it on the cheap. Um, or uh, you know, fried chicken. But sometimes she just buy legs and backs. And and they would have great flavor and be a lot cheaper to produce for the fried chicken. For the fried chicken, yeah. and she'd use and and because they produced because the the legs and the backs would produce much more fat, she'd save the fat to make the next batch of biscuits with biscuits for sure. You know, so Sounds she wouldn't good. have to buy as much butter. She had that fat from the chicken to make the biscuits, and those are better. I think the legs. And she used them for her pie crust too. I oh, mean, that's so good, so good. You know, she always had uh, the pickles that she was making. You know, like little quick pickles in the fridge. She had a, one particular cut glass dish that was just always filled with mm. uh, with these. Um, that sounds nice. And she'd pickle kind of everything. It was cucumbers a lot, but you could count on cauliflower being in there or peppers being in there, uh, melon being sort in there of sometimes. A chow chow. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, the, but always little, you know, some something. It was never mixed, but it was always something kind of there. So if she was serving something fried or something stewed, she had the little spicy, bright, you know, mm-hmm. tart Vinegar something based. to go along with it. Right. And would usually make rice, or if corn was in season, be corn. Did she make good rice? She made amazing rice. That's she, good. She, she made dirty rice sometimes. I didn't even know what it was called. Wow, that's great. Because she she'd, that. she'd save the livers and the hearts from the from chickens when she got whole chickens. So much flavor. And season the pan with the onions and the you know and and the mm-hmm. organ meats all chopped up, and then cook the rice you know and then toast the rice in that and then put great. the top on and great traditional and finish the rice. Dish. Yeah, exactly. I mean that that's the stuff she was great at. My great-grandmother was not so gifted. She was great at a lot of things, and she was a wonderful person, and she was the head of the, you know, like the, the, the symphony women, women's committee you and whatnot. Grandmother. My grandmother. Yes. But but her daughter w- did not pick up her, her kitchen skills. Your mother. My Yeah. My, my grandmother, my mother was not particularly gifted in the kitchen either. Mm. That, 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 that did not pass along. It skipped some generations. <laughs> my grandmother famously, um, God bless her, made a recipe 
she had looked up in, in some magazine or something. This has got to be 1971, 72 for crunchy meatballs. Oh, no. And, yeah. Right? You hear that. You're like, that's a bad idea. Oh, no. Don't do that. That sounds terrible. <laughs> but she, she, made, she made these meatballs. And she was helping my mother out, and she made dinner, and she made these meatballs, and she figured my mother would just put, you know, put San Giorgio spaghetti in the pot and cook the spaghetti and serve it with the meatballs, and, you know, three little boys would be good. Right. Right? So spaghetti is coming. My little brothers are excited. (laughs) I'm like, that's good. Meatballs smell a little weird, you know, but Uh uh, it's spaghetti. It's going to work out. It's going to be good. And it's like jarred tomato sauce, and meatballs go in it, and... And, we, st- and we, we sit down at the table, three little boys, we're all excited, you know, we're like seven and five and three and, mm-hmm. you know, just a mountain of energy and mess. And we're sitting at the table and biting the first meatball and, oh, Ew. oh, this is crunchy. <laughs> is there a broken glass in this meatball or oh, something? No, no. no. <laughs> and, and so my mother, we were all confused. My mother calls my grandmother, what what happened? So. Well, I, I made crunchy meatballs. They said to put peanuts in them. Oh, yikes. There, there were peanuts in the meatballs. And we were little boys. We were not really ready for this sort of culinary adventure. <laughs> weird. You know, weird. We've, we, we've, been, we've been having <laughs> fried chicken legs and collard greens and yeah. rice at my great-grandmother's, which was great. Yes. We're, we're ready for that. Yes. The, the meatballs with the peanuts in them. <laughs> I was afraid you were going to say there were potato chips or something. No, yeah. no, oh, no, no, gosh. no, no. It was, it was, it oh. was, it was, it was pretty. Tra- it was traumatic enough that I can picture <laughs> my brother Harrison taking one of the meatballs and putting it in our dog's dish. Oh no! And the dog that ate everything, <laughs> the dog looked at it and left the room. That's bad. So that yeah. was that was no tough. No, my meatballs. my great my great grandmother was the cook. My grandmother was a wonderful, loving grandmother, but was not the cook. She was a wonderful lady. And she was no longer allowed to make. I think she made a lot of tomato aspic, didn't she? She did a lot mm-hmm. of tomato aspic, yeah. lots of things sort of in associate jelly. associate that with her, yeah. I think one of the reasons why I, be- I began to do a lot of cooking for on large scale when I was a kid was because she wanted to entertain. And I think I was so horrified by the fact that she might poison all of her friends who seemed really nice. <laughs> <laughs> I, started, I started doing, I, this is not a joke, I started doing a lot of cooking for parties at her house. I know. When I was yeah. a teenager. Which is when, good. when I wasn't, it was like stuff I learned at work and whatnot and all kinds of other stuff just out of necessity for trying to keep her out of prison. <laughs> That's cool, though. That's a, it was a good way for you to get started in in catering and, you know, sort of understanding how to feed a large group of people. I think my first Mother's Day, you know, project was my father had always made pancakes for my brothers and I. With, uh, with And he would make the batter in the shape of our initials. So I got a T yeah, pancake. That's nice. Harrison got an H pancake. And Clark got a C pancake. I decided I, wanted, I was going to put the griddle on one Mother's Day and make mom pancakes. So I made the mom pancakes, and I realized I had to get three plates. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So, so she she kind of got a series of pancakes. It's she got a series mom. of pancakes. It's spelled mom. Well, that was cute. Yeah. That's sweet. You kind of laid them all across the bed. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> And so if now I don't know if your mom's coming to visit or not but like you know real quick what if you're making if you're making your mom lunch you make your mom dinner this year 
for Mother's Day? What What's on your mind? What would you make? I, I, well, I'm going to think about the things that my mother likes, and she does love salad. She loves hearts of palm. So I was thinking, since I know a lot of people like to grill uh, on, on Mother's Day, that w- I would make the grilled romaine salad for her, which is if you get the heart of the romaine and you wash them well, just ca- sort of plunge them into a sink full of water as a whole piece, and then um, dry them well, shake them out, dry them well, put them on some towels. Um, that just sort of drizzled with a little bit of oil and salt and pepper. You want to make sure it's very little because you don't want it to flame up on the grill. Oil down your grill. Let the oil uh, and the smoke dissipate. Put it on. Grill it for about 30 seconds. All the, Just kind of keep rotating it until you feel like you've grilled the whole thing. And I would say you could probably feed two to four people from what – it depends on how, how many courses you're having, really um, – with that grilled romaine. And if it's going to be a big course for you, I would just cut them in half after it comes off the grill. Well, grilling the romaine, you're only cooking it for a few moments, right? Right. It's very quick. I mean, at the at the end, it'll probably be maybe maybe 90 seconds, um, but it could even be 60 seconds. And you keep moving it so it doesn't burn right. a lot on any You don't want it leaves. to burn, but you do want it to get a little heat. I mean, you could even do it for 40 seconds. It kind of wilts the outside activity. leaves and gets a little mm-hmm. smoke. Exactly. And then we cut the top and the bottom off and then just cut it in half lengthwise. And like I said, if, the, if it needs to be a big course, then that's a nice portion. Uh, and then drizzle it with um, a little bit, just a tiny bit of extra virgin olive oil, salt and pepper. And then if you feel like it, um, I make a basil and reggiano vinaigrette for that. And it's a pretty simple dressing to make and it may, might be worth your time to try to make it. So it would be a whole egg in the blender. So you're going to put all of these ingredients in the blender together, 20 leaves of basil, 20 pieces of chive, one whole egg, um, about a teaspoon of kosher salt, probably about 10 turns of a pepper mill, five to 10 turns, depends on how much pepper you like. And, um, the juice of a lemon or two, depending how how juicy they are. You want a couple tablespoons of lemon juice and maybe a tablespoon of Dijon mustard and just put it all in the blender, put it, you know, get it going, get it up onto high so that the basil and the chives actually puree and then turn it down to a medium speed and start to drizzle in corn oil and you make an emulsified dressing that way, which means that all the fats and the acids are suspended with the protein, which is the and egg you, yolk. And you spend that in the blender for a minute maybe? Or less. You do not want that to get hot. So you want to you want to do it as quickly as possible without bursting it all over mm-hmm. you. Um, and uh, that's a great dressing. And, and you just kind of spoon that on the grilled romaine. Yeah, exactly. Spoon it on or if you have a squirter bottle, pop it in a squirter bottle and drizzle it on. But you can easily just spoon it on, and that's really great. And then just put slices of hearts of palm on there, and that is something that's you can buy fresh or you can buy it canned. And I will say there's absolutely nothing wrong with canned hearts of palm. You drain them. Um, you never want to it, once you once you go to cut a hearts of palm if you feel that the knife is really. Um, uh, how do I want to say, almost like uh, tugging on the on the hearts of palm, you know it's too tough to eat. So sometimes they are they are too tough in the can. They, should be, they to, should be tender. Yeah. And so we just cut them into sort of long bias cut pieces and put those on. And um, when we do have summer uh, tomatoes, um, you know, just a thought for the summer, you could add some fresh tomato to that and it makes a great, great salad. Um, so It'd be nice to even take a fat slice of an heirloom and put that on the grill for a couple of seconds yeah, on each side. Delicious. Just to take the chill off of it so right. it goes along with the lettuce. And you could add grated Reggiano to it. If, if And I, I don't think I actually added that to the dressing. You're supposed to puree a little bit of mm-hmm. Reggiano into the dressing at the end. Or you could just, uh, you know, microplane or grate Reggiano on top. Or you could add buffalo mozzarella to it or a crumbled goat's cheese. You know, maybe you don't want the hearts of palm. There are a lot of different ways you could go with the grilled romaine. Uh, one of the other things is, you know. Yeah, talk- what else does your mom want? 
She loves crab meat, so I would I would make if I could get good crab meat, I would make her crab cakes. Um, it's one of her absolute favorite things. She also she, I know you're not going to tell the world your crab cake recipe. I'm not, but I'm going to tell them how to make a crab <laughs> since everybody probably can come up with a crab cake recipe. Although I would encourage you to never put any sort of peppers, bell peppers. I would beg you to not put any bell peppers in your crab cake because I think it blows out the whole flavor of the crab meat. The crab meat's so delicate. You, you, want, you yeah. only want to. The height in that, and it's yeah. easy to dominate. And you're talking about fresh lemon juice, or you know, something very simple should be in a crab cake, not a lot of spices. Um, but uh, I was going to suggest um, making a crab flan, and the basic flan recipe is one quart of cream, seven whole eggs, and three yolks. And it depends on what you're adding to the flan um, or custard. Uh, this is a savory dish. This is don't don't be confused. That it would be obviously it's a savory dish. This with is not crab creme caramel. No, yeah. this is yeah, this is. This is a wonderful, a savory light, custard with savory meat. custard. And um, for, for the uh, crab meat, I would probably drop it to six whole eggs and two yolks. And salt and pepper, crab meat. And if you have a little bit of sherry um, or want to buy sherry, I use manzanilla sherry in my she crab soup. So I typically put it so in my flan so a dr- as well. So a really light, dry sherry. It's not mm-hmm. like something sweet. No. Yes. Yeah, exactly. A light, dry sherry. Manzanilla. And um, a little bit of, I think I said salt and pepper, and just a touch of nutmeg. And it's very simple. You you simply, you, all you have to do is get out a bowl, put your cream in it, whisk your eggs into it, add your seasoning, and put uh, you whatever you're going to use, say a Pyrex dish or a little uh, um, souffle cup uh, are perfect. Or if you want to make a large one, you could use any sort of, of casserole dish. Um, but you are going to do this in a water bath. So whatever you're using, has to you have to have an, a bigger pan, big enough that you can put it uh, into this dish into a water bath. Spray it, put the crab meat in the bottom, put the custard in, bake it for about an hour and 15, an hour and 20 minutes at a low temperature, about 280 degrees. And um, you want it to be firm, but not hard when it comes out. If it's still, if you shake the pan and it's still wiggling in the center, you want that to become a little bit more solid. So that's when you know it's done. And I would, and, and if you weren't already doing the romaine salad, I might serve a little mosh salad or something pretty and delicate, or maybe even a arugula salad to awaken uh, the flavors, um, you know, something like that on the side. And that could be an entirely its own dish. And uh, those are two things that I would certainly serve my mother. So... Would your mother drink a glass of champagne with you with uh, a nice menu like that for lunch? She would, absolutely. And I I would want pink champagne. So what would you suggest? Oh, rosé champagne depends a little upon style um, that you're after. I had a bottling recently, a new bottling that Pomery is making, the appanage bottling that's very dry. They're making a rosé appanage. Great. That I think is every bit as good as the Bicar Samo Rosé, if oh, not nicer. That's great. It's a little bit less fruity, and it's a little bit less sweet, and super charming for uh, an application like this. And uh, the bottle disappears incredibly quickly. <laughs> I bet. It certainly would uh, at my house. <laughs> no question. Well, when we come back, uh, we've got a few more recipes and lots of listener questions and emails to address on Foreman Wolf on Food and Wine. Welcome back to Foreman and Wolf on Food and Wine. I'm Tony Foreman. And Chef Cindy Wolf. And so, Cindy, we're, we're talking about a menu for your, your mom. Do you want to talk about pastry? Yes. Uh, a story. When we first opened Charleston, I served a dessert that I thought was my grandmother's recipe. 
Um, and uh, I recall seeing the menu card. The, the 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 menu card said mother's cheese pie. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. In your in your mother's handwriting. Right. So I. So you thought it was her mother's. Yes, because why would she pie. talk about herself that way? But come <laughs> to find out, after I'd been serving the dessert and and kind of giving my grandmother uh, so, so, credit, so like, Cindy, I'm your mother. <laughs> exactly. <right>? <laughs> <laughs> and when I say cheese pie, it's actually a cheesecake recipe that's a, just a tiny has a tiny twist to it. Um, and my mother and father came in to eat at the restaurant. And she said, "Oh, where did you get your grandmother's cheesecake recipe?" And I said, "Well, you gave it to me." And she said, but no, that's mine. So anyway. How did that go? <laughs> I, don't re- I don't remember that. How did so that go? So I had to tell the waiters at the next meeting to stop talking about my grandmother's cheese pie recipe. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a nice, it's a very simple cheesecake recipe, and we, we put it on uh, the website for you all to, to make it if you feel like it. But um, one of the changes is that it's three-quarters of a cup of graham cracker and three-quarters of a cup of ground pecans and a little bit of brown sugar and butter in the crust. So that and, so so that is the crust. Yeah, and then it's you know pretty straightforward cheese cheesecake interior, and then a little bit of sour cream, uh, vanilla, and sh- brown sugar on top. So once you bake the cheesecake, yeah, the topping business oh, is good. It's weird that something's it's so like simple. It's sharp. It's it's like a sharp accent to the the. It's so good. It's yeah, it's just it's a simple, simple thing, and so good. And for all I know, it came from you know some recipe off of the cream cheese package, you know, from my Na- mother 19, from the 1960s, 1948 but, Philadelphia yeah, cream people cheese. People might say, "Oh, that sounds familiar," but uh, <laughs> I, as far as I know, my mother kind of changed it a, a tiny bit. And anyway, I'm the one that added the pecans, so it becomes a family recipe, surely. And I also add a little bit of Cointreau, so I like that tone of um, the orange flavored liqueur. Uh, in the cheesecake. But anyway, so that's that. And another one of the things that my grandmother used to make that we all loved, they were called butterscotch cookies. And I have not included that recipe, but I will. And um, those are so fun and easy to make and something that I think would be great to teach your kids because uh, it's actually a roll. So you actually make the dough, you form it into a roll, you refrigerate it, and you simply slice it. It's just a really easy, I mean, you can make that the day before. And then uh, one of the nice things about cookies that we all love is the smell of them baking in the oven and having them fresh out of the oven. So you can just do it that way. It's almost like a little, uh, uh, in a way, a sand tart or, or a sable, uh, but it's richer and more buttery. And um, So it's a butterscotch cookie. Yeah, it's, it's three and a half cups of all-purpose flour, uh, three teaspoons of baking powder, one cup of butter, two cups of dark brown sugar, two eggs, uh, one teaspoon of vanilla, and one cup of chopped walnuts or pecans. And I suggest pecans, but you may prefer walnuts. That also sounds like a nice thing for uh, a glass of champagne. It's oh, they're so good. They're absolutely addicting. They just again, it's a simple recipe, and you simply mix um, in a mixing bowl. Put the cream. Uh, I'm sorry, you cream the butter in the mixing bowl, and then slowly add the brown sugar until well mixed. Add the vanilla. Then you add the eggs one at a time. Um, then you add flour, baking powder, and mix until just combined. And you take it out of the mixer. Just fold in the pecans by hand, and then you form them into logs. Wrap it in uh, plastic wrap, refrigerate it, and then when you are ready to bake them, you just slice them into thin circles and uh, bake at 375 for 10 to 15 minutes until they're done. And you make about 60 cookies with that recipe. So um, sometimes butterscotch people, cookies. People make things like that, and they slice it super thin. And it doesn't quite make the ten minutes, and they burn up. Where the slice is super thick, and you, you have to kind of—is there a, a gauge yeah, that you want? That's hard for me to say. I'm not sure exactly, but you know, um, quarter inch maybe. <clears throat> maybe a quarter inch. 
uh, and look at and look at them at eight minutes. I, I just hate the idea oh, of giving definitely. someone a recipe and them. Well, and also one rotate your pan. Miss. You should always. I would always glance in very quickly. You never want to bang your oven door uh, closed or leave it open for any length of time because obviously you don't want to lose the heat. But I would rotate the pan on any baked item. Uh, Meaning every couple of minutes you turn it so that it. If everything you have a hot spot in your evenly. oven, everything bakes evenly. Mm-hmm. Well, in the corners, uh, unless you have a convected oven, the corners are going to be hotter than the center. And, you know, everybody's oven is different. So, um, and yeah, and also when you are slicing them, you need to slice each one exactly the same thickness. So not only can they not be too thin or too thick, but you need to have them all be the same so that they bake at the same time. So any other, uh, while, while you're on cookies... Everybody loves cookies. Mm-hmm. So any other, uh, are you going to put any of the cookie recipes up on the site? I can put one more up, which is really a very special family recipe. And I'm not really sure about the origins. I know my grandmother made these as well, and they may go back to even my great-grandmother. And my, my family is from York, Pennsylvania. So these these are, uh, you know, kind of good regional uh, recipes. Um, when also talking about walnuts in that last recipe, I know that black walnuts were very prized in the York County area. So you may want to put black walnuts into those uh, that cookie recipe. Makes sense. Sour cream drops. One of the great things about these is you can make the batter, and again, you can just drop. My mother used to have the batter sitting in the refrigerator cold, and then right after we finished, she would drop them onto the sheet pans and um, do the drops, make the cookies, bake them, and then we would we would all sit around and talk for a few minutes, and, and then we would have freshly baked cookies for dessert, which were, that's really a treat. It's worth sitting around and waiting the 10, 12 minutes. Um, They're called sour cream drops. And you mix uh, half a cup of butter, one and a half cups of sugar, and two whole eggs together. And then you just stir in one cup of sour cream and one teaspoon of vanilla. Uh, Meanwhile, you would have in a bowl uh, sifted two and three quarters cup of flour, a half a teaspoon of baking soda, half a teaspoon of salt, and half a teaspoon of, of uh, baking powder. And um, that that's sifted. You would then just stir it into the uh, mixture that you've already started uh, by hand. And then you would chill that, and you bake it at 375 degrees, again, about 8 to 10 minutes. So you use two spoons to just you, you take the batter out. You just drop it from one spoon onto the sheet pan. You want to give it some distance. They will spread out pretty nicely. And when they come out of the oven, you can do two different things. Um, you can either put sugar on them when they come out of the oven, and that's fine. And then you have a sh- you have a real sugar cookie there. Or my mother used to make what's called burnt butter ice cream. Uh, excuse me, burnt butter icing, and um, that would be you would melt four teaspoons of butter in a pan until it was golden brown, and then you would blend in a cup of 10x sugar and a teaspoon of vanilla, and you can add up to a tablespoon of hot water to kind of get it to be the right consistency because you're literally just gonna you know spread it on top of that cookie. And my sister and brother pre- preferred them with the the burnt butter you icing. To get it to an icing consistency, so you add a yeah. little bit of water just to get it to that. Yeah, and uh, I was the one that always, my dad and I always preferred just the sugar on top. So, uh, but yeah, those are delicious and um, uh, quite a treat. They, they're pretty much like little cakes with sugar. So. Light and puffy. And mm-hmm. Really, really yummy. Actually, I'd like one right now. So, Tony, what would you make for your mother for Mother's Day? Well, I think it's funny. I immediately think of uh, Mother's Day and I think of all the lavish stuff being done. And I thought, well, is it like a heart healthy, like, but comfort way to to, to do something. And so, you know, you think, well, it's Sunday. What are you going to do? You're going to roast the chickens. What are you going to do? Uh, the first thing is to buy a good chicken. I think that the things that people do roasting chickens badly, they don't season the bird well. They don't season it ahead of time. And by that, I mean, literally just it, whatever you're going to season it with, if it's, and for me, it's just, that's just 
salt, usually sea salt, fresh cracked black pepper, and maybe a little bit of, just a little bit of vinegar or lemon juice, mm. and a little bit of extra virgin olive oil made into like a slurry. And you take that with your hands and you rub that bird down well, rub the skin of the bird down well, and you rub all the inside of the cavity. This is not the most fun job you're ever going to do, mm. but it's really important because it's the, the, because all the meat gets, no, it's not terrible, yeah. and all the meat gets seasoned properly. You know, it, 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 when it cooks, it's going to cook evenly, it's going to get seasoned properly. And then when you start to roast the, the bird, people always think, oh, I'm going to use a roasting pan. Use a very, very heavy skillet. Use a giant, you know, a cruze pan or a stove pan that's cast iron, um, that's big and thick. Uh, get it good and hot. Uh, put a little bit of fat. If you have chicken fat, great. If you have duck fat, also great. Uh, if, you, if you want duck fat, get a little bit of duck bacon. Um, render a little bit of the fat from that. Um, and when you when you start to get that pan good and hot and that fat good and hot, put that bird in the pan and brown that nicely on all parts of it, not not black, brown, until um, it's caramelized. Have that oven at probably 400, 375, 400, depending upon where your where your oven is. Uh, and once you, it's probably going to take you 15, 20 minutes, depending upon the size of the bird, to brown it nicely. You'll have a good head start on the interior temperature of the bird. And, and get it in that oven, that that 400 or so degree oven, um, and you probably lo- you're probably looking at a total cooking time of a little more than an hour. Uh, you want to use the thermometer. Do not not use the thermometer. You want to get a good interior temperature on that bird. When you when you pull it out, I would pull it out probably four or five different times and baste it with the fat, its own fat, and the other fat that's in the pan, and keep turning it. That's a big deal. That's really it, important. It, it is. It's going to make it tender. It's going to make it cook really evenly. Uh, it's going to keep the, all of the different parts of the flesh moist. Um, if it's starting to brown too much, I would add a little bit of vinegar to that pan, um, and that will that will stop a lot of the browning. Uh, and and some whether it's tarragon vinegar or just white wine vinegar, red wine vinegar, it doesn't make a great bit of difference. Not so much to dominate the flavor of the bird at all, but maybe you know a quarter cup something like that. Uh, just go ahead and add it to the fat, and sp- when you're spooning the fat with the vinegar over the bird. It will stop the browning, but keep the cooking nice and even. Um, and then when you're done, that bird, leave it in that pan, put it up on top of the stove. Once you get to an interior temperature, uh, what do you, would you like chicken usually around 165, mm-hmm. 170? Maybe. Somewhere in that range. Mm-hmm. If you if you get to an interior temperature of 160, 165, it'll rest its way up to 170 after a couple of minutes out. And where you check, the hardest place to get done is that thigh. Yes. Um, you you want to check near the bone in the middle of the thigh in the thick mm-hmm. part mm-hmm. Uh, with your thermometer and leave that up on the range for a, a couple of minutes, as much as like four or five minutes. It's going to hold the teat. It's in that pan. Absolutely, yeah. But it needs to rest, and those muscles relax, and that's what's going to make that bird tender, and it's what's going to make it return, retain its juice. Maybe once while it's on top of that range, spoon some of that fat one more time on top of that bird, and, and then go ahead and carve that chicken. But and you can do anything in the world with that. I mean, mm-hmm. that's that you're using just natural bird, it's natural fat. It could be boiled potatoes and very good extra virgin olive oil and salt, and a little tarragon, and you have a beautiful meal. It could be a little bit of broccoli rabe and garlic and and very mild chilies and a quick saute, and and a, and a pan. Sounds good. You know, but that th- those three things, super fun, super fun to have with a big fat bottle of rosé from the south of Italy or something like that. And it's not that hard to execute. No, it just takes know? attention. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It really just takes attention and care. That's what you're trying to show anyway, right? So Exactly. You know, it's an executable dish that that 
if you fu- if the point is caring, you're going to show that you're fussing over your mom. It's also not that expensive to to make either, especially. And, well, and, and if you spend the money on the chicken, yeah, you spend, spend the, money the money on, on, on a, great on a chicken, good chicken, a black feathered chicken, a, mm-hmm. a, you know, an Amish farm chicken, chicken, a nice chicken fresh. Is there something that you like the best right now? Uh, we are buying Pennsylvania birds that are absolutely amazing, but they're not available to the public. So, you know, in a grocery store, just a I, I almost never, sorry, <laughs> I almost never buy chicken in the grocery. So, um, you know, it's, it's worth it to buy a great yeah, bird. Yeah, whatever. Eberly, you know, Bell and Evans are, are brands that are in most of the groceries. And, you know, just see what, talk to the butcher, see what the best one is that they have. They'll let you know. The, I think that the other thing I would make. To, to thinking about dessert because you got me going on the cookies. All I want now is like a couple know, of good I really cookies want those and sugar a, cookies. Now I'm gonna and, have to go to the restaurant a, and, make and them. a glass of scotch. Honestly, <laughs> a big plate of hot you cookies, want cookies and a glass, and of, a scotch. glass of scotch. Some, it's, wow. Sometimes I do. Just... Sometimes I do. By the time Mother's Day service is open over in all the restaurants, I will want. Well, yeah, cookies that, and that's a different story than it's, the people we, at home having a nice calm day. Do you have a list of listener questions? Yes. Uh, someone asked, "What kind of wine is particularly good this time of the year that would be a good gift to give for Mother's Day?" Well, two things I would say, or, or I'm always going to give about seven answers for something like <laughs> this, but two things come to mind. One is you said something pink. I Immediately, did. you want yeah. a rose, like rose. <laughs> if you want to be fancy about it, good rose champagne, Vaufourny, um, Pommery Zappinage, yeah. um, Gosset Rose, all, all beautiful, all some beautiful, of my favorites, yeah, all for beautiful, sure. all beautiful yes. stuff. Yes. Um, if you're, uh, if if your mom is, you know. You want to do something crazy posh, Dom Perignon Rosé, you know, I don't know, Krug Rosé, mm-hmm. but Rosé Champagne, if you don't want to be crazy about it, but it is a great time of the year for Rosé, period. A nice dry Rosé from the south of France, uh, one of the big fat uh, Rosés from the south of Italy, like Polvenera. You're talking about an, a wine but that's a dr- not... But a, but not a sparkling wine, but something sparkling. that's going to be... You, you have a pretty spring day or afternoon on the porch, you know, that's... And a, and a couple of snacks or a nice lunch or something. Yeah. That's a that that's great to have around. Uh, the other thing is it's asparagus season and suave, good suave classico, is one of the only matches in the world for asparagus and and maybe the best match. And it's not a giant piece of money, and so suave is a good gift this time of the year for uh, if if your mom likes asparagus and it's an easy matchup and you're gonna enjoy it together. Sounds great. Uh, question is, you had Bert Bassignani of Bassignani Winery on, on the show back to the 80s, and I'm interested in purchasing a few bottles of this wine. Could you tell me where his wine is sold? His wine is sold in wine shops all over the state of Maryland. Uh, honestly, the most fun thing to do is the wineries out in Sparks, yeah. on Falls visit. Road. Yeah. Go out and visit or check out their website. They've got a schedule. In the summertime, I know they do like pizza night or something and and, yeah, and it it's a fun, fun promotional kind of thing go out and taste the yeah. wines and meet Bert and his family and yeah, it's they're great wonderful people and it's a beautiful drive out there uh where is godfrey farms located i'm interested in visiting it to purchase some fresh asparagus and other produce from baltimore godly godfrey's farm is a bit of a haul it's suddlersville which is about two hours away it's a lovely you know it's a it's lovely a great area drive. across the bridge north uh past chesterstown but uh and they do when when berries are in season. You may want to go to their website. When berries are in season, they do a pick your own and that kind of thing. And mm-hmm. that's a fun family activity. Um, as a restaurateur, would you say Mother's Day is the busiest day of the year to dine out? I think Mother's Day is one of the more complicated days of the year to dine out. Um, I know for us, we try to we try to accommodate what people want as best we can. A lot of times, we'll have buffets in places or you know, limited menus, or make it easy for people to make choices and easy to have a nice time. 
what's hard sometimes is getting reservations and getting bookings in advance and all that kind of stuff. That, that's the thing that's kind of complicated and, and a little bit difficult. And I would not encourage people not to go out on Mother's Day, but I would encourage them to think about other ways to spoil, you know, to, to, to spoil that, that mom in your house or, you know, mm-hmm. your mother-in-law or whatever it might be. Bring her another time. Bring her in the evening since brunch is so popular. Um, and or plan it, you know, pretty well in advance. It is one of the busier days. And, and I think the planning can, can add some stress to it. You know, you may want to you want to just enjoy the family time, and I think that's the more that you're flexible and smart about it, the better it's going to be. Thanks so much for listening to Foreman and Wolf on Food and Wine. I'm Tony Foreman and Chef Cindy Wolf, and we'll see you next time.